Hello and welcome to the Chasing Faith podcast. This is going to become a place for us to discuss issues of faith in a way that leads us towards a more authentic, open, honest, and generous expression of what we truly believe. I'm Brandon Batson. I'm the producer of this podcast and the Communications and Connections Director here at Christ Church in New York City. I'm here with your host, the Reverend Dr. Stephen Bauman, the Senior Minister here at Christ Church. Hey, Brandon. Good to be here. Each week, our podcast will begin with Steve giving a short talk on whatever subject we might be covering that week, followed by a discussion between the two of us and guests of the podcast. Today, we thought it might be a good idea to introduce ourselves to you by having a conversation around who we are and why we think these kinds of conversations are important. And so I'll start by asking you this question. Um, (laughs) Why do you think that conversations around faith are so important right now in our cultural climate? Well, that's a very big question. It's a huge question. (laughs) And uh, gosh, um, well, first of all, I would say that the issue of faith in general is a big issue for our culture right at the moment. And uh, given how distracted people are from considering regularly the things that matter most, uh, asking a question like, well, what what actually matters in my life? What what are the what's the point of my life? What is my purpose? Where am I headed? What am I doing and why am I doing it? Those kinds of questions are at the root of asking the question or or the idea of chasing faith the way this podcast is being set up. And of course, I'm coming at this from the standpoint that uh, faith is an essential ingredient for a life that is focused and well-lived and um, headed somewhere that matters. Uh, The truth is, all of us have to have some faith in something. I mean, Mm. you know, consider this. I mean, uh, even someone who does not believe in God believes that the sun's going to rise tomorrow. Um, They believe that uh, the sun causes plants to grow and the rain causes plants to grow and stuff, simple stuff like that. (laughs) Everyone lives in a world of faith even if they're not self-reflective about it. The faith we're talking about, of course, has something to do with ultimate ends and ultimate purposes. And where do we all come from anyway? And where are we all headed? And it seems to me that answering those questions are extremely important for building healthy communities that are rooted in love and rooted in integrity and... Um, and our culture, right at the moment, is bereft of love and integrity. And, and as I said earlier, uh, people are astonishingly distracted by a million zillion things. So a podcast like this is intended to be a pinprick to conscience, to wake up the questions that are so very important. Right, and I think that they're, at least from my experience with people my age and I think people in the modern context, I think people hear a word like faith and they attach meaning to that and what faith is. And I think what has really drawn me to this conversation and to having this conversation with you is that faith is about 
some of the larger questions that I think some faith communities, at least in part, are afraid to address or afraid to attach themselves to asking some of the deeper questions and, and focus more on this is what faith is, this is how you should believe, this is how you, these are the set of dogmatic principles when you put them into the stew and mix them up that make the perfect faith faithful person. Yeah, I agree 100%. And faith is not a list of propositions. And a lot of religion reduces it to that. If you believe this, 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 and this, you've got, quote, the faith, unquote. And that just isn't what it is. It would be better to think of faith as a verb rather than as a, a, a collection of mini nouns. Right. Um, it would be better to say, you know, something like, um, um, I am faithing in life, right. as opposed to, I have faith, like I have it as a possession, and that it's a thing to hold. Um, there's a moment in which that's true, right. but, but that isn't the healthiest or the broadest idea behind what faith actually is. I think most people are very much caught in that space of, I have faith, I lost faith. You know, right. it's something to, to grab onto and like, you know, have right belief about. But I think something that you told me recently that kind of stuck with me was um, that faith is something that you do more so than it is something that you have. Exactly. So, again, going back to that obvious little early example, I have faith the sun is going to rise tomorrow, actually isn't a proposition. It, It anticipates you getting up and getting going. It doesn't. It isn't. It isn't like a. It isn't a set fact. I mean, it is a fact in a way. Right, right, right. But the fact that we have a, the faith that it's going to happen, actually induces us to get up and get on. Right, right. right. So that's the kind of meaning I have for faith, even in the spiritual sense of things. Um, you know, for me, um, faith is rooted in my ongoing relationship with God, mm-hmm. or the divine, or the holy, or however anyone defines that uh, larger thing to which they are giving um, allegiance, credence, power, love, whatever. Uh, for me, it is my relationship with God that is the content of what faith is about. And like any relationship, it is a dynamic thing. It is a doing thing. It's sort of like, um, it's not unlike how we think about love, for instance. Um, I can say I love my wife, um, and mean it, of course, but I would be quick to add that love is as love does. Hmm. If I say, for instance, I love my children and don't spend a lick of time with them, I am saying something that's probably fundamentally not true. I might have a feeling of warm sentiment towards them, but love in that context is about being with them, engaged with them, um, you know, having ongoing rapport with them, wrestling with them, suffering with them, um, succeeding with them, all of that. So faith is a lot like that in my own relationship with God. I am wrestling with with God, um, I am at times in love with God in the sense that um, I feel deeply connected, 
And there are other times where I feel distant, but whether deeply connected or distant, I would still tell you I'm, I have faith. I am faithing my relationship with God. And that has direct ramifications then on how I'm going to order my life. Sure. And I think what draws me to that, what you're saying, um, I'm trying to think of how to propose this, but there's an there's a sense of pursuit, right? Yeah. Like that you are chasing faith, that it is something that um, is changing, that's evolving, and it's not something that has been set in front of you as these four tenets. If you can master these, you've now you've reached the pinnacle. But in your experience, I hear that experience is a big factor of your faith. And I think like you were talking to me not too long ago about um, that you would consider yourself a mystic yeah. in that way. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit of what you told me about how you see yourself as a mystic in that way? Well, a mystic uh, isn't a, uh, a gooey word in this context. It really means that to some degree, one's own experience of God is relevant to uh, one's religious pursuit, if you will. Mm. So, so, for instance, I would tell you that there has never been a time in my life, even as a small child, when I was not aware of, for lack of a better way of describing it, um, a divine companion. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't have used that language then. I wouldn't have known what to call it. But I would tell you for certain, in retrospect, that it was always there. And I was always aware, in other words, of God's mm, hovering presence in my life. That's a mystical experience, because you can't prove it. You can't um, write chapter and verse about it. Um, it's not a proposition to believe. It was. It's an experience. You could no more talk me out of that than say, try to convince me that the moon is made of green cheese. Uh, it's just something that is and that I know, and it's a kind of a mystical awareness. And that kind of mysticism, if you will, undergirds my pursuit of faith. Um, the other aspect of chasing faith, I mean, there's a bit of a misnomer in that because there's another aspect of faith, which is about receiving faith. Mm. And, uh, you know, I also think that faith comes to us as a gift as well, somehow in God's graciousness. So, for instance, if I go back to my notion of this mystical experience of God, that's not something I manufactured as far as I know. That's not how I understand it. Mm. It's something that I was graced with, if you will. And the the job, if I can say it that way, is simply to receive what is. <laughs> right. And I think there's a there's a part of that um because my experience even from yours is is different in so much as I think that I had that from a very young age as well of of knowing that there was something more than what I could see uh, feeling like there was something with me feeling like the presence of God as it was described to me 
And I think somewhere along the way, I started to ascribe these very like dogmatic principles to who God was or what Scripture is or what my relationship with God should look like. And I actually lost some of the wonder that comes from just knowing that there is something to be listening for, you know? And I had started thinking about now I've I've just deduced it down into something that I can know and know for sure and have this un flinching certainty and i think that that is when faith began to crumble for me at certain points in my life yeah i i couldn't agree more with what you just said in terms of the pursuit for certainty can be the kiss of death for authentic engagement with god <laughs> right because to be certain would 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 be to tame god and you know when we say it like that that that's just an absurd concept. Um, we are at best um, in constant engagement with something that's quite a bit larger than we are, and quite a <laughs> I hope bit. So. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it just stands to reason that um, that we can no we we can't possibly cage or contain God, and yet. Christians, a lot of religious people across religions, uh, even atheists too, for that matter, try to define things down to a fare thee well um, in a manner that just simply belies what reality demonstrates to us. That there, we, there's no, you cannot accomplish that. And the, as soon as we try to tie God down, there is a presumption there that we are capable of that. And of course, we're not capable of that. Um, else, we would be God. Hmm. Uh, God is always larger than our last thought about God. Always larger than our last thought. There is always something more to be known, to be understood, to be learned. Uh, there's always something to be unlearned, for God's sake. Hmm. I mean, I can't. I, I've unlearned many things over the course of my life in this pursuit of faith. I think that that's one of the things that has become really clear to me. It's like at certain points in your life and in your faith journey, the thing that stabilized you in one season will be the thing that you have to unlearn in the next. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, that has been so true. Like There have been moments in my life where I needed some aspect of my faith walk in order to stabilize some part of my life. But then right after that, I'm having to unlearn that so that I can grow closer to God. And I think that that has been just something that keeps coming up for me all right. the time. There, there's something embedded within this that has to do with... Um, being our authentic selves as well. Mm. You know, I've had some chat about this, that um, if, you're, if you're locked into a set of propositions about God and what faith is, you are constantly attempting to align your person and your personhood with those propositions in such a way that you may end up disguising yourself and pretending to be something that you are not, and then spend out your life holding up the pretense. Now, all of us, to some degree, suffer from this. Of course. But, but what we want to try to avoid, those of us that are in this business of religion, we want to try to strip our religion of 
the tendency to force people to put on a masquerade. Exactly. And I, I think that what comes from what you're just talking about, the negative part of it is, is that it is exclusionary. Um, very quickly, you're going to put people on the outside. And I think one thing that draws me to our church community and, and I think will draw people to this community is that I believe there is a place at the table for everybody. Um, especially in conversations about faith, whether you come to the same conclusions or even stay within the same theological framework is one thing. Um, but I think when you're having these conversations, like excluding people with differing views or excluding people with a different, you know, quote unquote lifestyle or whatever, is really detrimental to conversations about faith and getting at the truth. And I think that this we want to, this to be a place where we get to have some of those conversations that may not be appropriate for like a Sunday morning, uh, you right. know, or, or maybe they are appropriate or maybe they for are. Sunday morning, right. you know. Right. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, uh, a lot of religion is presented in a coercive fashion, hmm. and if you think about that. Uh, think about the the meaning of love, for instance. One cannot be coerced into authentic love. Mm. Um, and by coercion to love, I'm thinking about um, how some churches will say, unless you do such and so or believe such and such, God's going to punish you. And yet we say God is a God of love. The problem with that is you can't co- coerce anyone into authentic love. I, I, you know, in my kids, for instance, if I said, God damn it, you're going to love me or you're going to pay a terrible price. <laughs> um, and so let's say, well, they kind of shape up and do their thing, but they're not giving me genuine love. They're, I've coerced them in a power position to do what I've asked of them. But they, in turn, are going to be locked in a masquerade of pretending. Right, and and that may come from like a genuine place of like wanting to please or wanting to be exactly. in right relationship. Exactly. Or exactly. There could be any number of positive reasons why they may act for you. <clears throat> right. But at the same time, it's still an act. That's correct. You know, um, and I think... I think that uh, church, religious organizations, people who dabble in these, you know, talks, I think often when you move from teaching people um, how to think to what to think, it, it tends to become pretty dangerous pretty quickly, like to their spiritual health. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't have spiritual tenets that you stand behind. That doesn't mean that you can't have a clear theological framework. That doesn't mean any of these things. But when it becomes about controlling the group of people through the means of their faith, that can be really tragic. Yeah, there's a, there's a big difference between inviting people into relationship versus coercing people into relationship. Very different things. Yeah, And inviting allows people to say, gosh, I've got something else to do. No thanks. Maybe next time. Hmm. Coercion doesn't put up with that. And coercion then punishes the other 
for not following through in some form or fashion. You can think of this in all kinds of arenas of human engagement where coercion is exercised for particular ends. Usually they're related to power ends. Mm. Um, and power produces winners and losers, whereas invitation produces uh, people who are authentically engaging one another in freedom. And that freedom is essential to for human flourishing. <laughs> right, right. Um, that's, I mean, that that has been the biggest thing that has struck me about um, faith throughout the course of my life is that I've always heard in every church I've ever been a part of that the true freedom comes from relationship with God, relationship, you know, with God through belief in Jesus, you know, whatever. But at, depending on the environment and the peripheral things within that environment, that has become either really true or really untrue. Right. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. felt extremely free. Even in some more extremely conservative environments, there was, because of the periphery of things and the way that we were taught, I felt freedom in that. And then there have been other environments where I'm like, wow, I feel really constricted and I feel like I'm trying to be controlled. You know, and I think it, it's less about even the theological principles of those environments than like some of the more peripheral control structures within those environments. Yeah, absolutely. I um, this is a big issue for those of us who are professionals in this business of religion, the business of religion, mm. which, by the way, is different than <laughs> um, what we might call authentic spiritual engagement. One can be in the business of religion and be a, a, a complete jackass, for that matter, mm. uh, and untrue and unhelpful, and uh, and yet, and there can be people who have very little to do with religion per se, and yet are living very authentic lives uh, that are loving and true, even engaged with God in ways they may not even understand. Both of those things are true simultaneously right <laughs> right absolutely uh, i think uh one thing that kind of struck me when i first met you was that i'm i don't know if i'm exposing something here but you're older than my father and but you have a very progressive view on a lot of theological issues at least to me you know someone who grew up like extremely conservative evangelical and one of my initial questions to you out of being baffled was like how did you come <laughs> to this you know what is your story that made you the way that you are and the way that you see things so openly and and honestly in my mind is that's how i saw it and i you know I wanted to know more, like, how did you find that position? Because most people that I know your age do not have that view. Well, um, and I think I may have said at that time that I considered myself a mystic. Which that helped. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and um, and I, I, I'm a little careful using that words because it, word because it can be misunderstood or misconstrued. And... Um, and sort of written off as, oh, well, he's, you know, kind of out there. Right, right, exactly. Um, and I think, though, to some degree, I may be a little bit out there, but I don't think being out there is such a bad place to be. Let me put it <laughs> another way. Maybe, uh, maybe I exist a little bit closer to the margin of traditional faith 
than the absolute central core of traditional faith, or what we're calling faith. Um, mm. But I think that helps me stay alert to people where they're actually living and how people are actually engaging the content of their lives, how, how they uh, understand suffering and the pain and the agony of living, as well as the joy and spectacular um, gifts that come along with, with uh, love and life. Um, so I, I have this mystical bent that does not mean that I do not think propositions about God or theological frameworks are unimportant. I just don't think they're of ultimate importance. And they become guides rather than um, absolute mm, inerrant propositions. That was funny, too, because like one of the first times we sat down together, you know, we were talking about all these things, and we were talking all over the map. Right, I mean, right. all kinds of theological <laughs> things. And, and you were very quick to be like, but I'm a Christian, not a Unitarian right. Universalist. So not that, you know, that's any not a good thing to be. It's just like, that's not who I am. Right. You, you know, right. and I think that which let, which communicated to me exactly what you just said, like, no, I still have a theological framework. I have things that I'm comfortable with and things that I have come to believe, but that doesn't make me unable to entertain other things, to be honest about what I think about, you know, different items. Right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> and just to put a disclaimer on the Unitarian Universal, some of my best friends are yes, absolutely. Universalists. Nothing, nothing bad there. But what I was doing is I was locating myself. Exactly. And, then, and that's I think what that I wanted that's, to know. I think that that's an important thing for people, ultimately, too. I think to know something deeply and thoroughly brings you closer to the mystical heart of things than to know something superficially and uh, dogmatically. Right. And to know something deeply and thoroughly is to be able to ask questions. Because how on earth do we ever learn anything new if we think we already know everything we need to know? If we think we've already got it all wrapped up, um, we must have developed this capacity to be searching, seeking, um, with open hands, looking for um, um, what we already don't have and deepening our engagement. We do this regularly in relationships that matter a lot to us. In, we do it instinctively in those relationships. But in order for a relationship to get truly, profoundly, deeply, intimately engaged requires an open-handedness and a vulnerability and a willingness to learn new information, especially about the other person. Um, now, I would equate the same thing goes is true for our relationship with God. Mm. The, the further I have gone in my relationship with God, the less, uh, I, the more I've had to shed. In fact, what I would tell you is, the older I get, the less I know about most things. <laughs> right. And the more I know about a few things. It just works that way. Um, and that requires a kind of willingness to live, as I've said, open-handedly and uh, willing to receive new information. Right, and I mean, I've always, 
been told almost as a threat, work out your faith in fear and trembling. Yes. But as I've as I've grown, I think that speaks more to the humble nature of how to approach. And that it isn't, like you said, about um, having this just fear and like anxiety over my faith journey, but saying like, you know, I don't have all the answers and that's okay, but I need to be seeking and I need to be open and I need to be open to hearing from the thing that is bigger than me, from the divine, from God. And I think I that's... I think you're absolutely right because that passage could be interpreted like, <laughs> watch out if you don't work <laughs> out your faith, you know, right. <laughs> or uh, to your point, it's a statement of humble acknowledgement that I just don't have it all. I don't know it all. I don't own it all. I need what I do not have, and I long to have it. Right. And I think that comes through, you know, to use another Pauline you know, phrase, that iron sharpening iron really is rubbing up against other people who are on this journey, hearing their perspectives, and in garnering the fruit from their faith walk. Right. You know, and I think, I hope that's what we can do on this podcast as we meet other people who are on this journey and as we continue conversations with each other. Agreed 100%. Looking forward to it. All right.